What's up and welcome back to another episode of Broad Street Benchwarmers, sponsored by uh, Growling Grub Magazine, Roxborough Hospital, and the Isle. Manny Young, Dan Black is uh, me. He is Richie Gary. Richie, how you doing today? Oh, I'm great, Dan. We got a lot to talk about. And when there's a lot to talk about, I'm always happy. Always happy when there's plenty of sports to talk about. And you're right. We got uh, some NFL playoff stuff to talk about. Uh, obviously, the college football playoff and everything that's going on with that right now. Um, the semifinals just happened. So, and the finals are sort of up in the air for the championship game. So, we got to talk about that. Also, some big college basketball news. Uh, we'll get to that later on. But uh, before we get into everything, Besides sports, we also love to talk about food and booze. So let's just jump right in to the food section, at least. Uh, what have you been uh, chewing on recently that you like? You told me about it beforehand, though. Oh, yeah. I told you a little about it beforehand. So I got these muscles for those who are seafood shellfish fans. I got these muscles from Liquid Assets uh, for our audience that's out in Delaware, Maryland area. It's uh, in Ocean City on 94th Street. Um, Liquid Assets, if you don't know, uh, this is actually my first time being there. And they served like it's like you walk in, you're like, oh, this is a liquor store. But then there's a bar and there's also all these couches around the bar and stuff. And it's very like say like you want a bottle of wine, you can go up to like the liquor store, just grab the bottle of wine, bring it to your table and the waiters will put it on your tab for you. You don't even have to go to the checkout. And then apparently they have banging food. I had no idea that their food was as good, but they have a mussels that's served in a chorizo red gravy with sausage onions and pepper in the gravy and that thing is so good it might be an appetizer but this thing is like i don't think i could eat it if i wasn't splitting it with somebody it was huge so much like it had to be at least like 30 40 muscles it was so many muscles so good you dip it in the gravy you get a little bit of sausage maybe on your fork too because it's like little tiny like sliced pieces and I mean, there's nothing else. I mean, I'm not a chef, but chef's kiss like that is that is some quality seafood. So if you're looking for some good mussels, check out Liquid Assets on 94th and OCMD. Now, Dan, what are you munching on these days? Well, for one, that sounds absolutely incredible. I told you, you know, before we hopped on that I'm a huge muscle fan, more of a white guy than a red guy. But, you know, uh, obviously that red is not the normal sort of Italian muscles that you get. So. Definitely. Oh, no, it's got a little kick to it, a little spice. Yeah, to it. I love that. I love that. I always think that muscles need that little bit of a spice sort of hit the back of your throat. But oh, yeah. uh, I've been obviously I honestly you you eat so much more out than I do. Like my like my like a 10 to <laughs> one ratio. Maybe it's because I still live in, you know, I moved back home until like I don't, you know, have to eat out. My parents make dinner and stuff. Not that that's sad or anything. Oh, trust uh, me. My wallet's <laughs> hurting. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I had um, actually I had Chinese the other day, um, and that was incredible. Uh, this place called Duck Sauce in I believe Richboro, so the suburbs of Philadelphia. I don't know the exact address, um, but you know, classic Chinese, great Peking duck. They got the crispy skin on it. That's key. You know, you never want the skin to be like flabby and not worth it because you know if you're gonna eat the extra calories, you might as well make it good. Um, so that was that's what I ate most recently. You know, uh, that's funny you say that because I was talking to somebody and they were actually I was like, they were like, yeah, like I love duck. And I was like, really? Like, I didn't know duck was like that big of a thing. And they're like, yeah, like we want a duck, like really crispy on the outside and nice yeah. chewy on the inside. And I was like, 
I, I had no idea. And they were like, duck tastes like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is like, they described it as duck tasting like really dark chicken. Yeah, kind of. I mean, kind of? I, I don't really like, there's no like, there's no like, I guess, comp for it necessarily. I mean, I've never eaten like a goose or anything, but I assume they taste similar. Um, goose duck. But de- definitely like a darker meat of a chicken. For sure, okay. like, it's probably yeah, that's probably the best example. That might have to be one of the next things I get. Honestly, I mean, I, it sounds I like dark chicken, so it sounds good. I know you. I know you live downtown, so Chinatown. There's plenty of good places to get it. If you need suggestions, I'll certainly be of service to you. Honestly, yes, yes. We'll talk after the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's get into it on the sports side of while we're here. Let's uh, kick things off for the NFL. Tons to talk about, obviously, with the playoffs coming up this weekend. But let's reverse back to week 17 and the Eagles in a lot of controversy uh, over the weekend. Obviously, fourth quarter, they were in a close one with Washington. And then they put in Nate Sudfeld sort of waving the white flag. And then, you know, the controversies of Doug Peterson saying he, you know, uh, was coaching to win and it was his sole decision and all, just basically everything. What were your thoughts on and on everything that happened? Well, somebody that wasn't in the division, and as someone who's thankfully not a Giants fan, um, I still saw that, and I was still like, found myself like kind of upset by it because I was like, these guys, especially like after hearing like Jason Kelsey's speech, I think like four weeks prior, where he goes like, if you're not putting out 100 percent on the football field, like we're trying to win games and everything, and that's what it should always be about. To now. Doug Peterson putting in a guy when you're only down by three, you just missed. I know Jalen Hurts had missed a guy wide open to like go up. And like, he was like, let's put this guy in. But like, it just didn't like, it's like, you've had this guy for four years and now you want to see if he can play. Like Sudfeld's been with them for four years. And like, we, like if you don't know what you're getting with him already, like, I'm sorry, like you're just not good evaluators. Like, meanwhile, you have a guy that's been there for not even a full season yet. It's supposed to be your guy is the reason that your former starting quarterback has beef with your head coach. And you take that guy out to put Nate Sudfeld in, who is not starting anywhere next season, clearly. Um, It just felt like, it just felt, I mean, I'm a competitive guy. I always have been. And to me, like to see that, it was just like, it was just like, I feel like Howie almost called Doug Peterson on the field and be like, you need to lose this game right now. Like you need to lose this game. And like, it almost felt like a job by Howie and Doug to just end, end the season, get a better draft spot, ruin the giants playoff chances all in one fell swoop, but it looks terrible. And it doesn't help that. I know Jason Kelsey just recently this morning came out like defending Doug and everything and like trying to explain the situation but then you have your star running back and Miles Sanders, who you should be caring more about than Jason Kelsey at this stage in his career, who vocally is vocally on Twitter saying, I don't know what the hell that was. That was like, I was taken aback by it. Like it just doesn't look good for the Eagles um, in that sense. It really like, like in my opinion, Doug needs to go how he needs to go big time because he has missed on some huge draft opportunities that could have you guys in a lot better place right now. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of different thoughts on it. Um, one from someone who, you know, played sports and, you know, understands the athlete side of things. 
Um, you know, especially when you, when it was a terrible season all throughout, you know, maybe getting that last win, you know, the last game of the regular season is something special. I don't know. Obviously it's a meaningless game either way. Um, but you know, one for giants, for the people, whether you're a Giants fan or Giants player, win more than six games. Like, yeah, like, at the end of the day, like, don't give the Giants a pass. Like, this like, yeah, no, I like, like, the team that won the division deserved to win the division because they were the best team of this schlock that is the <laughs> NFC. Good way to put it. Right. So, so the reality is that they're the best team. And if you're the Giants, you really want to go and win the division, get a worse draft spot and lose in the first round to Tom Brady, like, what, like, what are you doing? Why, why are you so upset? I get like everyone wants to be in the playoffs and everything. Like, oh, new season. Like for the NFC East, it's not going to be <laughs> right. The, the NFC East is not the NFC East is not representing uh, the NFC in the Super Bowl this year. I can promise you that. So I'm not really worried about that. But from the standpoint of everything else, in terms of you know the move, one no shot that I believe that Doug Peterson, knowing how Doug Peterson calls games and how aggressive he has been throughout his tenure with the Eagles, there's no reason to, for me to believe that he all of a sudden doesn't want to win games. So to me, the coaches don't do that, right? Coaches and players don't tank, right? This this felt so overtly like someone else had an input, um, and unfortunately Doug had to be the scapegoat. So that's one. I do not believe that that you know, was just his decision uh, to try and let – you know, Nate Sudfeld gets some rep. That's complete BS to me in every single way. Um, if that was the case, you would have just started him week 17 and not worried about it. Right. Um, yeah, you should have played the whole game if that was the case. Right. Exactly. So, and then the other thing really was in terms of the people freaking out about it. Right. It's like, listen, at the end of the day, this is sort of the business side of the game intertwining with the games out of the game, right? Like we're not in high school anymore. We're not talking about high school football. We're talking about a business. At the end of the day, this is a business that's revolved around a game, you know, a childhood game, but it is a business. And part of that business is just like any good business, you look forward instead of where you are right now, right? You plan six months ahead. That's why in the fashion industry in fall, you're planning for spring, right? You're not planning for winter because you already did that in the summer, right? So that's sort of how I've looked at this. When you put yourself in a position where you win only four games, you don't, to me, you don't get a reason to complain when the business side affects the game side, right? When you win four games and you don't put yourself in a position to, to win the division, what happens week 17, no one should be able to complain about, right? Don't lose a 17-point lead to Washington week one. Don't tie with the team that had the first overall pick a year prior. Don't lose by 20 to Dallas, right? Like, like these are all things that, especially in a division this bad, that if you just didn't do those things, you probably wouldn't have seen Nate Selfie on the field because the Eagles would have been in a position to have a, you know, playoff game scenario on the line. They didn't. So at the end of the day, Jeffrey Laurie, I'm sure, who is the owner, who makes the final decision, I'm sure said, I'd rather have the sixth pick than the ninth pick. And people would say, well, what's the difference? The difference is, is that the rest of your division is terrible. So they're all drafting really high, the teams that aren't Washington. So at the end of the day, and they need a bunch of stuff. So guess what? If you take a wide receiver, then the Giants can't take that wide receiver. If you take a quarterback at six, 
the Cowboys, who need a quarterback, can't take that cornerback. Or if you want to trade that pick, the sixth pick is much more attractive to teams than the ninth pick. That's just yeah, general business. Middle of the pack, it gets to that 9-15 range where teams can easily hit or miss on that. When right. you're like a top six, top seven, especially in this draft with how thick it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at the guys that are around the sixth pick that they're expecting. You're expecting Patrick Sertan or, you know, one of the – whether it's Jamar Chase or uh, Devontae Smith, who we'll get into a little bit, you know, whatever. Those guys are pretty, uh, pretty much locks for the most part, people are expecting. And you're not really going to worry about them and how they produce. And also, when you miss on a lot of draft picks that you have, you eventually get to this point where, you know, you don't have the talent to compete at a high level. Um, And it's a bit humbling, I think, for a lot of fans, but it is what it is right now. Um, So that's when I saw people freaking out and, you know, saying it's losing the integrity of the game. One, they're not the first team to, you know, purposely lose. We saw the Jets do, we saw Jets fans elated every week when they lost. Like what, you know, why are we picking and choosing who can and can't tank? Right. And I, um, I think that kind of like, I don't know if you saw Dan Orlovsky's tweet. He went like kind of insane. Like no, he went to the no, he went, he like, he notes apped, like he notes apped on Twitter. If you notes app on Twitter, it's no longer just like, haha, like something lighthearted. It's like, if you put a notes app thing on Twitter, like that's like, that's, that's like, oh, you're serious about this. You're seriously upset. It's like when um, guys like make their decision of where they're going to college. Literally, literally. It's like, it's like, I will agree. Like the, the reaction has been like still crazy. It's been like way over. I mean, cause at the end of the day, like we're talking about a team that doesn't, ma- I mean, in the grand scope of thing, we're talking about a team that doesn't matter now. Right. Right. Like, this team doesn't matter now. Like, and the, and the only reason the jets can get away with it is because they haven't mattered for years. The reason the Eagles are kind of receiving this backlash is because not so long ago they were winning a Super Bowl. So I think that's – I think it's more of like a culture shock for the fans of Philadelphia maybe. And it and it was Sunday night, right? Like like at the end of the day, if it, if it would have been a 1 o'clock game, we probably aren't talking about it, right? No. To, the, to the extent no. that we did um, because it just gets sort of meshed with everything else that went on throughout the day. Um I'm sure it would have gotten some talk and some play, but not to the level that it has. Probably so that plays the Philly media, you. honestly. What? Probably just in the Philly media. Yeah, yeah. It probably doesn't get to the point that it was, but when all the eyes are watching on the last regular season game of the year, it is what it is. Um, and it's unfortunate. You know, I don't, I don't know what you do because I've never seen this situation before. Um, you know, I, I've said many times on our show that I – would like to see wholesale changes. I don't know if we're going to see wholesale changes, but to me, I think it'd be very hard for, especially some of the more veteran guys to come in, you know, next season um, with that taste in their mouth. I mean, obviously, you know, I I, I don't really know. I don't expect, you know, Jason Kelsey to come back or Jason Peters anyway to be there. So it doesn't really matter. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. Um, but again, when, when you're going into week 17 with four wins, you can't really be complaining what's happening, uh, to, if you're a player, what the owner or the front office chooses to do, um, in those situations. Yeah. You're kind of just a victim of your ownership at that point. Yeah. And so, you know, it is what it is. It's a bad look, but you know, it, it win more and you don't have those issues. Um, so speaking of winners, the playoffs start this weekend. We got our uh, official seedings going in to uh, the 
playoffs this weekend. So obviously the Chiefs and the Packers both getting a bye this week. Let's start first uh, with the AFC. And uh, who do you like in some of these matchups from the AFC? You got Bills, Colts, Steelers, Browns, and Titans, Ravens. So I really like the Bills against the Colts. I think they match up well. I don't think Phillip Rivers has what it takes to win a playoff game, especially against a Bills defense that has kind of got some momentum behind them in the past couple of weeks to the way they're looking like that Bills defense of last year. Probably the most competitive game is going to be my Ravens versus the Titans. Um, just because it's two teams that match up really well together. Although I will say the difference between this Titans team and last year's Titans team is 100% their defense. Um, that defense can't stop a nosebleed. And I think this, this game's about momentum and the Ravens offense is humming. So I think it's really going to be somewhat of a shootout. And the difference maker is going to be um, the Ravens pass for us. If we can get to Tannehill, I think we change the game. So that's the game that's probably going to be the most competitive. And as far as the Steelers-Browns go, it's interesting because they literally just played each other last week. Um, the, Browns won, the Browns won that. Um, they pretty much had to. The Steelers, I don't think they were really in it, though, because it's like they already clinched. They already know their seeding. Um, there's not really much that they could change. So that one is a game that, I mean, if I have to make a call, I'm probably going to go Steelers just based off of experience. Um, yeah. and the fact that Tomlin will have his guys ready to go, um, even though he's notorious for losing games in the playoffs that he shouldn't, i.e. Jags when he had Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, um, that was an absolute debacle. Um, but I don't know if the Browns can beat the Steelers two weeks in a row. Yeah. Um, that's just something, especially now with their offensive play caller and Kevin Stefanski being out. Um, that is huge because he's one of the few head coaches that does call the offense. So now they have their special teams coach being standing in as the head coach right now, which I don't care how like top to bottom your organization is like foundationally structured. When your head coach isn't there, who also calls the plays, you're going to see a difference come Sunday or Saturday, whichever day they play. Um, so I'm taking the Steelers in that. And yeah, that's pretty much my AFC picture for this weekend. That's what I'm thinking. As far as the Ravens Titans, I think, I mean, the Ravens are minus two and a half right now as a spread. I kind of like that, but it's going to come down to defense in that game. It's not going to be about offense because the offenses are going to do what their offenses have been doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't really have any quarrels to pick with any of that. I think the bills will roll over the cold tape and just way too hot on both sides of the ball. Um, and I don't trust Phillip Rivers because he has shown more times than not that in the playoffs he's uh, sort of like Paul George. He just doesn't show up. Um, yeah, Steelers, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think the Steelers I think the Steelers roll over the Browns um, for a lot of the reasons that you said. The Steelers are going to be a little more rested because they didn't really start any of their starters last week. It was a you know meaningless game for them. They couldn't do anything, and the Browns are just missing too many pieces. Uh, to go into that. And again, the experience factor, you know, you have a rookie Kevin Stefanski versus a Super Bowl winning head coach in, in Mike Tomlin. Uh, so it's not really a favorable matchup in that sense. And then again, you know, you look at the Ravens Titans, it's going to come down to, I think the Ravens offense is just going to be better than the Titans defense. Um, the Ravens have been hot right now. This is an opportunity for Lamar Jackson to really, you know, prove himself um, after last season. Did the playoff season in the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah, they played yeah. in the playoffs last year. A little bit of a rematch uh, there. So, yeah, I mean, Browns, Steelers, and Bills is uh, is 
to me. I, I, I don't think in the playoffs, at least in the wild card round, there's going to be many upsets. I mean, I guess technically the Ravens and since they're the five seed and the Titans are the four seed. Technically, like yeah. Upset, technically but, by seeding, yes. Yeah, whatever. But um, and same thing with the Buccaneers in Washington, but, you know, whatever. Um, so speaking of that, let's move over to the NFC uh, four five matchup Buccaneers and uh, Washington. The three six is the Seahawks and the Rams and the Bears and Saints round out the other game. The Packers, as we said, uh, got that first round by. Uh, I like the Saints, obviously. I don't trust Mitchell Trubisky. Um, I don't think that Bears defense will be able to hold up enough against uh, that Saints offense. The Saints defense is just too strong, and the Bears offense has, for the most part, they the Bears have been far too inconsistent this season for me to trust them. Uh, now, this is an interesting one. We get to the uh, Rams-Seahawks. This is the one that I think would could see an upset because the Seahawks offense has struggled mightily. Now, obviously, it's one of those situations where I trust Russell Wilson will figure it out, but the Seahawks offense has not found its footing. Um, you know, they've been meh of late. The defense has finally picked it up. But, you know, of any of these games where I think I'm going to take a shot at the upset, I think the Rams beat the Seahawks. And then, of course, looking at our final game, I think the Buccaneers are, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll start from the opposite end. So Bucks, Washington. Um, thanks for coming out, Washington. You know, it was cute. You guys made it to the playoffs with a seven to nine record, mimicking like I think it was like the 08 Seahawks or something like that. Um, thanks for coming out. Uh, Bucks, too much offense. Defense is also nothing to sneeze at. They're rolling easily as long as they show up and play, which I think Tom Brady will have them. Then you've got the Rams and Seahawks. This game, I don't know what to think because the Rams' biggest impediment is Jared Goff. Um, like that's crazy to say, but it's their quarterback who was holding them back. Um, cause that defense has returned to being a very good defense on the Rams. Um, Aaron Donald leading that unit, but then you have the Seahawks, which as you've mentioned, offense was not what it was in like the first eight, 10 weeks. Um, and they don't look like that. Same. I don't know what it is, but that big playability just isn't there from what it was. Um, even with Chris Carson back. Um, and to try to help balance the offense with the run game. Um, I got to go with, I mean, Russell, he's got the experience, but I think, I think the defense might be too much. No, you know what? I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be the suit guy. I'm going to take the Seahawks simply because of Mr. Whatever the hell his name is, whatever he calls himself. Um, Mr. Unlimited. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, I'm trusting Mr. Unlimited to just, you know, have a little bit of magic left in that hat and um, get the Seahawks by the Rams. And then we have the Bears and um, what was the other team? Bears. It's Bears. and It's Bears Saints. Bears Saints. Um, I mean, Bears defense is good. They always have a good defense. Saints have a good defense for like what feels like the first time ever um, since like Jonathan Vilma days when like he had like that offensive unit back when they won the super defensive unit when they won the Super Bowl. Um, you know, Mitchell Trubisky is unpredictable and he can go from one week putting up 35 points to the next week putting up 10. Um, however, this is the playoffs and I am used to quarterbacks who are inconsistent, i.e., Joe Flacco. Um, and 
this game scares me, honestly, a little bit. It does, just because I don't know how good Drew Brees is as far as health-wise goes and as far as his arm talent goes, where I feel like he needs to make a couple big throws this game that so far we've seen he has not been able to do in certain games, um, which I think leaves the window open for a Bears team that has been running the football better than they have than I've ever seen them run in the past couple of weeks with David Montgomery. Um, I, I got, I mean, I'm going to take the saints just because like my brain won't let me take the bears. Um, but I, I, I'm not confident in taking the saints. Let's put it that way. I'm not super confident. No, that's fair. But I, I would have zero confidence in the bears whatsoever. They have been frauds in my opinion. Um, before we wrap up the uh, NFL talk, uh, obviously looking forward to the playoffs. Award season has approached for the NFL season. Before we get into some of the college football stuff that we got to talk about, let's quickly run down. Uh, I have you know a list of I think six different awards. I forgot one, which is comeback player of the year, but I think we can both agree on who that is. So comeback player of the year, yeah. Alex Smith, obviously. Uh, all right, coach of the year. I have Sean McDermott with the job he's done. In Buffalo, how about yourself? I would have to agree it would be Sean McDermott. Um, he's unbelievable. I mean, the only guy that I could see maybe, uh, maybe Ron Rivera, just because, like, of everything that he went through this season, yeah. like puking on the sidelines, like going through chemo, getting this the shamble of a Washington team to the playoffs, even though they're 7-9. and nine, Yeah, not great record, but at the end of the day, you're in the playoffs. So that's there's something to be said there. Um, but, I, I mean, yeah, it's between those two. No, that's fair. Uh, defensive player of the year and offensive player of the year. I have TJ Watt for defensive player of the year and uh, offensive player of the year, the 2000 yard rusher, Derrick Henry. I mean, yeah, Derrick Henry, he's like, he's a one man wrecking crew. There's nobody on offense or there's nobody in the offensive game right now that influences a game like he does. Um, so yeah, Derrick Henry's my guy. And then as far as defensive player of the year, I, said, I hate that it's TJ Watt because it makes a lot of sense. Um, there's nobody else that really comes to mind that stood out this season on the defense. I mean, you always have great defensive players like Shaq Barrett, Aaron Donald, all that. But like he, DJ Watt, he's like, what? He was a sack leader with like 15 sacks this year or something like that. Um, so you can't you can't sneeze at that. It's it's TJ Watt. Like it's just TJ Watt. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, now to the youngsters, the rookies. I think defensive rookie there is pretty easy. It's going to be Chase Young. Um, for, you know, a multitude of reasons, but nonetheless, he's the best rookie defensive player. Um, I assume that you would agree with that sentiment. I'm going to go with Patrick Queen, uh, my guy. Okay. He's got uh, he's got a couple forced fumbles, interception. Right. Oh, he leads the team in tackles. Um, I mean, he's done everything that, like, we've asked him as a linebacker, uh, especially in his first year. He does a lot of complicated reads. So maybe I'm, I'm probably I'm a little bit of biased because I'm a Ravens fan, but I've watched this kid play every week. So and I haven't watched Chase Young play every week. Um, and I know he's getting double team and triple team and still putting up numbers, which is insanity. He's a good council boy, actually, right near my house in uh, back home in Baltimore, uh, maybe like 50, 40 minutes away. Um, but sorry, hometown guy. I, I got to go with the guy who plays in the purple and black. Uh, and that's uh, I know I'm probably in the minority uh, with Patrick Queen, but. He has been exceptional for a linebacker coming into a system and having to be the anchor of the middle of the defense. No, I agree. He's been fantastic. And then on the other side of the ball, this is a difficult one. Uh, offensive rookie of the year. I put Justin Jefferson. Um, there's plenty of reasons to say 
uh, the guy out in L.A., the uh, man under center, could also win it as well in Justin Herbert. But I think Justin Jefferson putting up, you know, breaking Randy Moss's receiving yards record, the season that he's had, um, you know, just, you know, he's just been fantastic. So I think it's hard. I think it's hard not to pick it. I mean, yeah, you see, um, you see Herbert and like, for me, it's like what makes like a rookie of the year, like, and like a guy like that, like an offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year is kind of like, it looks like they've been there before. Um, and Herbert, like, yes, like unbelievable. He's broken a ton of records, but I still see times where I'm like, Oh, that's something a rookie would do. When I look at Justin Jefferson and I watch him play, I'm like, this guy, this guy looks like he's been in the league in like for at least three yeah. years. Like everything looks so slowed down to him. Yeah. Um, and that alone is like the reason that I just see like, every, like, and you said yourself, like you're breaking Randy Moss's like rookie receiving record. Like you're in rare air. You're in a yeah. rare air as far as like, not just like Vikings wide receivers go, but wide receivers in the history like, of the league. A guy like the, you broke the record of the best receiver not named not named Jerry Rice. So, you know, exactly. it's nothing exactly. to sneeze at. And then finally, the MVP, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation. Is Derrick Henry, you know, should he be in it because of the 2,000-yard season? He has every reason to be in the conversation. But to me, Aaron Rodgers, when you have a 10-to-1 touchdown to interception ratio, 51 touchdowns to five interceptions and over 4,000 yards, and, you know, you're the best team in your conference and you get home field and all that. Uh, to me, it's just it, – it's one of those things where, like, in any other year, right, you know? In any other year, Derrick Henry's winning it. But, like, you, I mean, it, we but saw like, with Pat Mahomes, like, two years ago. He hit the 50-touchdown mark and he got right, the MVP. It's right. like, if you, if you cutters, throw, forget it. You're winning. If you throw 50 touchdowns, you're almost – unless there's multiple guys that throw 50 touchdowns, if you throw for 50 touchdowns, and keep the interceptions like unless you're having like a Jameis 30 interception season as well, uh, you're probably going to win the MVP easily. I mean, as like as my like my thoughts on Aaron Rodgers, we all know I'm not a huge fan of the guy, but I'm not I'm not his biggest hater either. Um, I mean, you just can't you can't ignore the stats. Dude is all over the place. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, his family doesn't talk to him, but he doesn't need it when he's making all those touchdowns either. You know, he's talking to the money at that point. Yeah, so uh, looking forward to seeing who picks up those awards soon enough. Also looking forward to the playoffs this weekend. Speaking of the other playoff at the at the collegiate level, uh, we got a OSU blowout over Oklahoma and uh, or Oklahoma over Clemson and uh, Alabama taking it. So it'll be uh, Ohio State and Alabama in the uh, championship, and we will sort of preview that. That's sort of in its own weird situation with covid don't know if it's going to play uh but if it does play big fan of alabama in that one um but i don't know your thoughts with, COVID with them someone get covid or something i don't know i saw something about you know they have to move it from it's supposed to be this upcoming monday uh the 11th but they may move it to the 18th because of whatever maybe i, I don't know whatever something happened um so they're trying to figure that out um but you know Whenever it does happen, I still think Alabama is going to win it unless Justin uh, Fields, you know, can miraculously have a six-touchdown game again, uh, which I don't see that happening against Alabama. Um, no. I think yeah. it's Mac Jones, Alabama, just choo-choo all the way through. Yeah. But uh, going back to that game, obviously a matchup of two quarterbacks that are expected to go one and two in the draft in just a couple of months. Uh, 
Trevor Lawrence, obviously, no doubt, number one at this point, uh, going to Jacksonville. There were questions about whether Justin Fields would go number two. There were, you know, boards that had him, uh, you know, falling behind Zach Wilson of BYU. Saturday obviously changed that. I never bought into it at any point, but Saturday, the performance that he had, especially playing after he got his ribs cracked uh, or whatever, um, you know, I, I don't think it changes in terms of one and two, but I think they both have supplanted themselves. Uh, specifically, you can't, take, you can't take this BYU kid. You can't. Right. You right. Can't. You I can't. mean, I'm not a small school quarterback guy anyway. I'm ne- never going to be a believer in it. Um, even though I experienced, you could say University of Delaware was a small school, which it's not. It's like 20K. Um, it's just a small football school, but I don't like Justin Fields is clearly number two now. It's so evident, like not even just like skill wise, but like grit wise, like you want your franchise quarterback to have the qualities that Justin Fields displayed this past week. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's tough. He's gritty. He's a leader. He can put up numbers in tight situations when the spotlight is on him. He's not afraid of the limelight. Um, if the jets don't take him, in my opinion, I know some people are saying that they're, they're going to take the Oregon guy. Uh, like, cause I mean, that Oregon guy is going to be a great, I can't say his no, name. So I can't say Oregon guy. Um, it's a, like Sewell, like Penne Sewell or something yeah. like that. Um, great offensive lineman. He's going to be a stud wherever he goes. And I know the jets need some more protection, but I mean, you guys, you guys need a quarterback too. You guys need, I mean, they, they essentially need everything. And you need and, everything. And I think like this is coming back to one of our previous episodes. Uh, I was saying that Gase is gone and now it's up to Douglas. Douglas is stuck right now with Gase's guy and Sam Darnold. The only way I think Joe Douglas saves his job is to get a guy and say like, this is who we build around. Um, and I think that guy is Justin Fields. Now, knowing the Jets, for all we know, they could trade back and then this whole thing just changes everything. I mean, I could see that because the Jets are idiots. I like I wouldn't say that about any other team, but like the Jets honestly are just infuriatingly stupid. Um, like it gets me to a point where like they're not even like in my division, and I get so mad at Jets fans just because I'm like, I'm so tired of the complaining. Um it's just I think it's Fields. I think Fields is still a number two pick. I don't I, like I said, my, my reasons, I think Joe Douglas, he needs the fresh start, um, fresh slate and just go from there. Um, Trevor Lawrence still number one, just because he lost in a college football semifinal does not change anything. Um, if anything, I was expecting him to come back because of the prospect that he is in that game, even once things looked hopeless, which tells you enough about what everyone thinks about a prospect when you have fans thinking that. Um, so it's it's same thing. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, one, two. Justin Fields just put his foot down and said, yeah, I'm the number two pick. Yeah. Yeah. No, he he was fantastic and, you know, definitely supplanted himself as the second quarterback to be taken uh, come the end of April. A guy who is expected to be right in that conversation in top five territory is a guy who won the Heisman last night, Alabama wide receiver uh, Devontae Smith. He beat out uh, – his own teammate and Mag Jones, as well as Florida quarterback Kyle Trask and uh, Trevor Lawrence, who the aforementioned Trevor Lawrence. It's shocking that Trevor Lawrence, through three years, three uh, national championship games, no Heisman's. It's got a, it's very odd to me. One of the best quarterbacks, like possibly like, the, best the greatest quarterback ever. Galloway. Yeah, it's very weird. But uh, Devontae Smith, the first wide receiver since 1991 
to uh, to win the Heisman. One good for him, two good for wide receivers, and three good for uh, the selection committee for not picking a quarterback, for understanding that that he really is the best player in college football this season. He's like, unbelievable. He's far and away the best player without a doubt. All he's the other guys great. In an Alabama uniform. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to separate yourself that way in a program that over the last, you know, 10 years has had some of the biggest names in the NFL go through that system and they continue to have turnstiles and to have the this, this season that he's had. And, you know, I'm sure they had plenty of Heisman hopefuls throughout the, the last decade or so, but to separate yourself in that sense, he deserves it. I'm excited to see what he has at the next level. And uh, I hope he really uh, cherishes that moment. Oh, absolutely. And, like, there was a crazy photo I saw. It was a picture of Tua, Jalen Hurts, and Mac Jones with Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. It's nuts. That's insane. That's insane. And that just goes to, like, this is just a testament to Alabama. Like, you wait your turn. Like if you don't, if you're cool with not playing your freshman, sophomore, even junior year, and then just falling when your number is called, look what happens. Look what I like that. I mean, and even uh, Devontae Smith on his Twitter even said, I waited my turn and here I am. And like, same with Najee Harris. That's what they both were like, they harp about. It's like, wait your turn at Alabama and you're going to get up. And clearly they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. So props to Devontae Smith. I love that a wide receiver won it. I was since nine, first wide receiver since 91. To win the Heisman, amazing. Um, you know, props to him. And uh, really wish the Ravens could somehow trade up and draft him, honestly. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> he may not even be there when the Eagles pick, let alone uh, the Ravens. So, uh, so we'll see. But congratulations again to Devontae Smith. Before we turn to the hardwood, both at the collegiate level and the pro level, let's talk about some uh, cocktails, if you don't mind. What, do, uh, what have you been sipping on thinking about recently? So I've recently stopped at this local spot, Mothers. They have locations in Ocean City, Maryland, but also in the Baltimore area, in the Baltimore City area. And this particular Mothers, now I'm not sure if they're totally related, but this Mothers, their margaritas are fantastic. I don't know what they do. It's like the perfect combination of sweet and salty. I don't know if you're a sugar on the rim guy, but I'm a salt, I'm a salt rim guy. Um, and that combination is like the perfect balance. Um, they give you these, I mean, they give you like these like huge margarita glasses. I feel like I was like taking first communion, like every time, like I was like drinking it because it was just, I couldn't do it with one hand. I didn't trust myself. Um, and it was, it was so good. So good. Um, really check them out. They have location down on the inlet area in ocean city, Maryland in Baltimore city. Um, and also on 74th street in OC empty. So check them out. What about you, Dan? What are you sipping on these days? I know you always got something different. What have I been sipping on? Uh, I've tried to cut out drinking a little bit, sort of my little bit of my New Year's resolution. You know, everybody has that. Well, I'm doing the sober January. I'm, I had a glass of wine two nights ago, but I'm doing sober January. All right. Congratulations. Good for you. Good luck. It's not going to uh, be like it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, uh, I actually went to a, uh, to a place called Iron Hill Brewery. Um, oh, I love Iron Hill. Yeah, right by my house. Uh, so plenty of great beers, about five minutes in Huntington Valley from my house. Uh, a million and one good craft beers to choose from. 
So, you know, I went the other day with some friends. I'm going to meet some more over the weekend there. Um, they got a nice little outside place. So uh, you can go outside and be by the heater things and have some beers and, you know, chill in this weird situation. So, uh, so that's what I've been doing in terms of drinking, but trying to cut it back for the new year. Yeah, I get it. You know, it's all about bettering yourself. I get it. I get it. We're all here, you know, <laughs> January with me. You're more than welcome. I'm not saying I'm going to hold it to it, but I'm going to try. There you go. There you go. Well, uh, let's turn our attention again to the hard court. Uh, college basketball made some big news, sort of knew that it was coming eventually, but finally finalized just the other day. They decided to move the entire March Madness tournament to the state of Indiana, specifically uh, Indianapolis. They'll be playing, I believe, I think they'll have, uh, eight total sites, one in West Lafayette where Purdue is, one in Bloomington at Assembly Hall where I went to school, as well as where the Indiana Hoosiers play, and then the rest are uh, in Indianapolis at different colleges or obviously where the Pacers play and uh, Lucas Oil Stadium as well. Um, so that's a big deal, and I think it's, you know, I think it's a great, great situation for everyone involved. Obviously, Indiana is sort of – for basketball, what Texas is to football, um, it just means more there, right? Every single driveway has a basketball court, uh, and they have pictures of Bob Knight everywhere, and you know, whatever. It's a basketball crazed state. Um, Indiana land, baby. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, they have and and all the sites that they're doing with the majority in Indianapolis, so they're all right around each other, pretty easy. Indianapolis is a great city for events. We know they've had plenty. And obviously, you know, West Lafayette and Bloomington, not too far from uh, Indianapolis, about 45 minutes Bloomington to Indianapolis and then about an hour and a half West Lafayette to Indianapolis. So not, you know, a tremendous, um, you know, a tremendous hike if you have to go from there to Indianapolis. It's like eventually it pretty much just eliminates flying. Like yeah. everyone can just go by buses to different stadiums. You know, they're just trying to contain it the best that they can contain a, t- right. a tournament that is literally the biggest tournament in the world when it comes to basketball. Um, so they're doing what they can, you know, and I, I like, I like the move to Indiana. Like you said, great history of basketball there. Um, great city to have a place like that. I think even though it's not the biggest city, it's great for basketball and it's like kind of like an ideal scenario for the tournament, honestly, because right. it's not fully East coast. It's not full West coast. Everybody's kind of meeting in the middle. Right. And I, I'm really just interested to see how they even can do it. Cause obviously we know the NBA and the MLS sort of did their own bubbles in Disney, but you know, they have this giant campus to themselves for the most part. Right. Um, and you know, it's just them in this giant Disney campus. Whereas this is them sort of creating a bubble in people's real world uh, in downtown Indianapolis where they don't have, you know, acres and acres of a Disney campus to work with. They have to just work with what they're dealing with. So, and, and you know, they've over twice the amount of teams that have to, you know, play compared to the NBA bubble or the MLS bubble, right? They have oh, easily. easily. You can say even more. Right. So they have 68 teams. How are they going to do that? So I'm from just the logistical standpoint, I'm interested to see how they can work it all out. Oh, I am too. I'm excited to see it. I really just hope. Nothing bad happens. I can't go another spring without March Madness or I'll lose it. Yeah, yeah I need to hear uh, one shining moment this year. I missed it in 2020. Please, please just give us one shining moment. Please. Shining moment. 
Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I can't wait. I might actually fly out to Indiana to see some of my friends uh, for that. So, hey, two, man, I would, gotta hang. that would be some great content. <laughs> Absolutely. So, switching it over to the pro side before we wrap things up for the day, the Sixers have not surprised people, but surprised people with how quickly they have turned things around, it seems. Uh, they have the best record in the entire Eastern, I believe the entire league at six and one. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly done by the way that they won under Brett Brown, which is defense, but also turning that defense into offense and playing together. How real is the Sixers team? Well, I guess you'll be happy to hear this. The Sixers team reminds me of last year's Laker team. Once the Lakers got like before the Lakers were in the bubble, when the Lakers were, um, uh, on that hot streak right before um, the NBA got shut down, where all of the, a lot of their offense was transition offense from just generating turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I think that's great. I think that's what wins you championships. That's to me, that's what the Sixers look like right now is a team that can compete as for me. I, I mean, we have it on record. I was not a believer in the Sixers um, being a contender in the playoffs past just getting there. Um, now with the way I see that their defense is humming the way that doc rivers has kind of rallied this team to like, Hey, don't just be so don't just settle for like a nice defensive stop. Like let's attack. Like his a big thing. And like doc rivers, he's always been attack and, but he's always been attacked wisely. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing with the Sixers team. You're seeing a more serious Joel Embiid than of past years. I know every year people say that, but I think this year, like, I think the reason that I think at the most is because in past years, he was telling us he's more serious. And this year he's kind of just showing us. Um, so that's what I see. I see Ben Simmons. I mean, Ben Simmons, we're not going to get into like, obviously he needs to fix things, but right now what they're doing, it's working and it's working very well. And it's making believers out of everyone in the league, including myself. Yeah, no, I totally agree with everything you said. Um, obviously defense has been their calling card throughout this whole sort of process thing. Um, and it really transitioned defense, and that's the way of the game in the NBA. Um, and specifically for a guy like Ben Simmons, where we know he's not a great, you know, ha- half-court set-up-the-offense type of guy because he's limited offensively. Um, but when you get him out in transition, he's a threat. And when you have, you know, him barreling down and then you have a confident Seth Curry trailing behind him, and he's confident in Seth, and, you know, or you have a Tobias Harris who, you know, we thought would do really well in Doc Rivers. He did it in LA uh, a few years ago. It just feels like there's so much more of a flow. And they mentioned it, I think, in the broadcast the other night. We talked about the passing. Now they're passing for a purpose. That's what they were talking about. Whereas before they were just passing to make a pass. Now there's a reason behind it. Um, so, you know, it just feels so much more fluid. It feels like Ben is more comfortable. It feels like everyone is more comfortable. They gelled so quickly. Um, and, you know, I, I still – I was having this argument with my friends. I still would like to see Ben, um, you know, take some threes just to be comfortable with it because, again, you know, it's one thing to do it in the regular season. It's another to do it when you're facing the best coaches and the best teams and they have more time and they're only focused on you. That's when things can change. Exactly. So now's the time for him to work. Right. So – but for right now, the way they've looked, can't ask for more – can't ask for anything, you know, more out of Doc Rivers, out of Ben, out of Joel, out of Seth, out of Tobias Harris, who has finally started to live up to that contract a little bit. Um, so it's exciting times for the Sixers, to say the least. Oh, exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. 
yeah, so uh, so looking forward to how they play coming up this week. I think they have a back-to-back tonight and tomorrow, so we'll see how they do. Uh, we'll see how the playoffs shape out this week, and uh, hopefully we'll have college football to talk about a recap of the uh, national championship on Monday for next week's show, but maybe it gets pushed back. We'll see. Uh, but uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us today on another edition of uh, Broadshoot Benchwarmer, sponsored, of course, by Growler and Grub Magazine, Roxborough Hospital, and the Isle Maniunk. I am Dan Black. He is Richie Gary. We'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time, Dan. See you, everybody.